Hello, lovelies. I'm Valeria, and this is Have Murder, Will Travel. Hey, guys. Hope you enjoyed our two-part trek through Kenya. Sorry part two was so long. I promise next time I will split the case into three parts. Not going to do a hour and a half long episode again. And just a little, little, little teaser. At the end of the year, I'm doing a big case. You, you've definitely heard of it. And I promise you, I'm not going to try to fit it all into two parts. It's going to be more than two parts. I'm reading five books. I mean, Kenya was one book, Canada was two books, and those were both crazy long. So five books. You might have to sit with the case for a month. <laughs> no, I won't do that to you. Hopefully. We'll see. But that's for the future. Let's focus on the now, shall we? Where are we going this week? We are going to Scotland. And I decided to do something kind of fun this week. We are going to talk about some horrible witch trials because I just, I find them fascinating and it is murder, but I wanted to avoid Salem, the Salem witch trials. I feel like they've been kind of done to death. So we're going to do some Scottish witch trials. These witch trials actually involve the royal family. Ooh, who's ready? Let's go. Now, even though we're going to be in Scotland for this week's case, our story is actually going to start in Norway, specifically Oslo. It's November 23rd, 1589. So, you know, recently. November 23rd, 1589 was a joyous day. It was a wedding day. That day in Oslo, Anne of Denmark married James VI of Scotland. His moniker can get a little confusing because he's James VI of Scotland, but then he's James I of England because he, like, united it and Great Britain and all that shit. Anyway, I'm mostly just going to call him the king or King James or just James, so there won't be any confusion, but just if you're trying to look something up about this case or you're ever reading stuff about him, that's the deal. He's James the Sixth of Scotland, then he's James the First of England. Same guy. So yeah, James and Anne got married in Oslo that day at the mayor's house. Isn't that cute? Now, you're probably wondering why Danish royalty and Scottish royalty are marrying in Norway. That's not either of their homes. Well, their marriage, like many back then, was arranged for political reasons, obviously, you know, unite the kingdoms, all that jazz. So Anne left Denmark on September 5th, 1589 to go meet her mans in Scotland. Real life love boat, if you will. I would also like to point out that Anne was no basic bitch. She traveled with a whole damn entourage, an 18-ship entourage to be exact. I don't understand why you need 18 ships to come with you, but I also don't travel by ship, so maybe that's why I don't get it. Unfortunately, there were some bad storms, and her traveling party ran into issues. You know, the ships were getting tossed around, whatever, and they got stranded in Norway, so she's stuck there. One of her 18 ships that was with her 
because, you know, she had a whole fucking army. One of them actually did make it through the storm and made it to Scotland. It was this guy, Lord Dingwall's ship. And he tells everyone in Scotland that, you know, Anne, the queen, she's in danger, these storms, blah, blah, she's going to drown. Basically just a drama queen, if you will, just whipping everyone up into a frenzy. And then Anne also wrote two letters to James after the storms had kind of subsided and I guess stuff could get through. She wrote him two letters and basically the letters were, you know, oh, I love you, can't wait to see you, blah, blah. But she also was like, hey, we tried to leave Norway a couple of times every time there were storms and we had to turn back. Now it's almost winter. There's going to be ice. It's cold. I think I'm just going to stay here and I'll come in the spring. Well, James did not find that acceptable at all. So he gallantly sailed to Norway to fetch his lady. I say gallantly, and I mean, sure, it is kind of gallant to, you know, go sailing into potential storms to fetch your wife. But I also think he was just horny. Like he's in his early 20s and I think he just wanted to fuck his wife. Maybe he got tired of chambermaids or something. I don't know. That's just my thinking. Horny. So storms and horniness are why they were married in Norway. They tried to return to Scotland immediately and there were more storms. So the two of them were stranded in Norway for a bit. They did finally make it to Scotland, though, and that's where the rest of our story is going to take place. Now, they are happily married in Scotland. That should be it, right? That should be enough. Of course not. That would make this a very boring case. So James wanted to know why the ships had so much trouble in the storms. You know, it couldn't possibly be because the North Sea just has storms, and at this point in history, we can't predict or track weather has nothing to do with any of that no 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 know what it probably was witchcraft it's only explanation so back in denmark an official had accused another official's wife of witchcraft and they figured she had raised the storms to stop the ships and that all thing that leads to the copenhagen witch trials which i'm not covering in this episode but it is kind of related basically in Denmark, they arrested this woman. I saw her name as Anne, but I also saw it as Anna Coldings. And she quote unquote confessed to being a witch, put quotes on that confession because it was taken under torture. So maybe not the most accurate confession, right? Uh, she was supposedly a really powerful witch. And they actually, they called her mother of the devil, which good for her. Also, mother of the devil would be a great band name. Just saying. So under torture, she was like, yeah, he caught me. I'm a witch. And she accused five other women of being witches. And they all confessed under torture that they had made the storms that had stopped Anne's ships originally, her little entourage. They also confessed that on Halloween night, they'd actually raised devils to climb out of the sea and sink the ships. Like, wow, that escalated quickly. Now, there's no motive for these crimes and no evidence, but they tortured them until they confessed, so they must have done it. I just want to say that if these ladies had the power to control the weather and raise devils out of the sea, first of all, sounds fucking awesome. Good for you. Second of all, I feel like they do much bigger shit than take a bridal fleet out, but what do I know? So back in Scotland, King James 
heard about these this witch trial business and instead of just being like, wow, babe, they got those witches that tried to kill you. We can move on with our lives and be happy. Nope. No, no. Instead, he was like, witches in Denmark? Why? I bet there's some here. We should start a literal witch hunt. Totally appropriate reaction, sir. And that is how the North Berwick witch trials got started. Weather, horniness, 1500s. A recipe for disaster. I found this great translation of some history text from that time that I wanted to share before we get into the witch trials. It was written by this guy named Jean Baudin. Now, Jean, it may be Jean. Jean. I'm going to say Jean. He was French. I don't know. Sounds French. Sounds right. Anyway, he was a statesman and he was considered to be a very rational, enlightened, tolerant man of his time. So that's where we're coming from, this very rational man. Even he wrote about witches, though. In 1580, he wrote about witches and the punishments they deserved. So this is 10 years before our trials are even getting started. And this rational guy, rational, air quotes, wrote, quote, One accused of being a witch ought never to be fully acquitted and set free unless the calumny of the accuser is clearer than the sun, inasmuch as the proof of such crimes is so obscure and so difficult that not one witch in a million would be accused or punished if the procedures were governed by the ordinary rules. So this supposedly tolerant thinker of a man was basically like, well, sure, we can't prove that they're witches, but, you know, so what? If if we had to prove it, well, they'd never be punished because we can't prove it. So, I mean, if they're accused, we should just punish them anyway because it's too hard to prove and they're probably a witch. Cool, cool, cool. Um, he also argued that instead of proof, violent presumption should be enough to sentence a witch to death. So not only do we not need to prove it or anything like that, but we can kill you just because we think you're a witch. Like, not even just throw you in jail. And this is coming from a great thinker of the time. So that's the sort of thing we're dealing with here when we get these witch trials. So if you're ever like, how did this happen? Because of shit like this, this is how people felt. You're accused of being a witch, you die. The end. The I'm going to link all my sources like I always do. You can look at the translations. It was pretty fascinating. There was a whole section on instructions on how to torture a witch. I won't get super into that one. But one thing I found interesting is that they always stripped the accused witch naked. And in the writings, they claimed it was because they may have sewn some witchcraft into their clothes. But I think this is just another instance of men using power to humiliate women. Just what I'm thinking. But yeah, you should check out the the little book. It's kind of cool. It had other stuff too, other than just witchcraft stuff, but it wasn't relevant to the case. So the North Berwick Witch Trials started in 1590 and they lasted two years. Now over 70 people were implicated in these witch trials. Two years, over 70 people. Supposedly, these witches would hold their coven meetings on the church greens at night. And I guess the church was in North Berwick because these trials did not take place in North Berwick. Most of them took place in Edinburgh and most of the accused did not live in North Berwick. But I guess where they would meet was North Berwick on a church ground, like on the church greens. And supposedly the devil would preside over these meetings. And that was what they did. I'm just going to come right out and say it, but I don't think the devil and witches meet at churches or on church grounds. Like, I think that's the last place they would go. 
doesn't doesn't the devil like catch on fire if he goes to church or something? I think that's a thing. I don't really go to church, so I don't know. But also these quote unquote confessions said some of these meetings would have over 200 witches at them. I'm just like, nobody noticed like over 200 people and the devil just hanging out at the churchyard. Okay. One reason we know all that we know about these witch trials is because there was a pamphlet that was published in England a little after these trials, and it was called News from Scotland Declaring the Damnable Life and Death of Dr. Fian, a Notable Sorcerer. What a title. And this pamphlet is actually one of the earliest pieces to describe Scottish witchcraft to the rest of the world. So it is very historically significant for understanding the minds of these people and what was going on. You can read it online. I did. It was really interesting. And it's actually, it's pretty short read. I think it was about 28 pages or so. It it is in Old English, so it's a little hard to get through. But I always love a direct source. That's that's the way to go. (laughs) This pamphlet also introduced the idea of the osculum infame, or the kiss of shame. This, I guess, comes up in a lot of witchcraft stuff. (laughs) I find it hilarious. Basically, the osculum infame is supposedly the ritual greeting witches give the devil, and it's called the kiss of shame because it involved the witches kissing the devil's anus, or his other mouth, if you will. Supposedly, this was how he was able to seduce women. All that tells me is that the devil is kinky and likes rim jobs. Good for the devil. We don't kink shame around here. There was also a part in the pamphlet where it mentioned that the devil would use the witches carnally, although none of them enjoyed it due to his cold nature. Personally, I think it sounds like this whole pamphlet was just written to make the devil feel bad about his sexy time, which is rude. But let's get into the trials. So the first person accused was this woman named Galis Duncan. I also saw her name listed as Gilly in some of the records, probably a nickname. I'm going to call her Galis because that was uh, her name in News from Scotland pamphlet. Now, Galis worked for this asshole named David Seaton, and apparently Galis had a newly had a new ability to heal people. Like she was making them feel better. You know, maybe she just learned some new stuff or read something. I don't fucking know. Well, anyway, David didn't like that. And also, he caught her sneaking out at night a few times, I guess. Now, a couple things I read said she was sneaking out to go heal other people. But also, I'm like, she's a grown-ass adult. Maybe she went out at night to go fuck around. Maybe she was just going out to walk around. We don't fucking know. It doesn't matter. Well, David caught her, and he demanded an explanation. Like, where were you? What were you doing? And she refused to give him one, probably because she's an adult who doesn't have to answer to him. But David was pissed, and so he ordered that she be tortured until she told him everything. Not an overreaction at all. Like, can you imagine if you went somewhere on, like, your lunch break at work, and you came back and your boss was like, hey, where'd you go? And you were like, I don't, I don't have to tell you where I go off the clock. And then your boss just, like, tied you up in a dungeon and started torturing you. Like, I'm gonna torture you till you talk. It's like, sir, what? <laughs> I could totally take my boss, though. She, she's older. I think I could take her. I'm not scared. Now, Galus was a bad bitch, though, and she withstood a lot of torture, including something called pillywinks. Now, I did look them up, and pillywinks are basically metal, this metal contraption. It kind of, it just slowly crushes your fingers. 
Like it can go on just one finger or it can go on multiple fingers at a time. And it's these metal plates and they like turn these screws and it just gets tighter and tighter and it slowly crushes your fingers. Sounds fun. But when that didn't work, because like I said, Galus is a bad bitch and was like, you can crush my fingers all you want. So I'm not going to tell you what I've been up to. So then they were like, we're going to search her. Basically, searching is when they would inspect the accused witch naked. It's always nakedness with these people. That's why I feel like this is like sexually motivated a little bit. It's gross. But they would get them naked and they had to search every inch of their body for a witch's mark. Witch's marks were supposedly where the devil would leave his mark when they would make a pact. Some said he just like, the mark just appeared. Some said it was where he licked them and it would leave a mark. There's different ways they would get them, but basically it's where they get a mark indicating that they're in league with the devil. Anything could pass as a witch's mark, so all of us would probably get caught because if you had a mole, an acne, a pimple, I said an acne, what the fuck, a pimple, a birthmark, a scar, a skin tag, really anything, they could point to it and go, yep, that's a witch's mark, witch. And like I said, these perverted assholes would search the woman's entire body. Like, they weren't just like, oh, let me see your arms, let me see your legs. They would search all their uh, private areas for marks as well. So again, I feel like this was just an excuse for a bunch of grown, gross men to fondle and humiliate naked ladies because patriarchy. Well, so after being searched, aka molested and groped, they found the witch's mark. Now, the pamphlet said it was on the forefront of her throat, and I'm hoping they mean like her neck, like, you know, as a throat, and not like inside her throat. I'm assuming they meant like there was a mark on the front of her neck, but since it said throat, I was kind of like, ugh, did they look inside her mouth? Because I wouldn't be surprised they seem gross. See, so yeah, I'm just letting you know, they, they found a mark on her. She's in league with the devil. So once they found the mark, Galus confessed to everything. She's one of the first ones that linked the witches in Scotland to the storms that plagued Anne and James coming back. She named a bunch of other witches that she'd been, you know, consorting with, doing all this stuff with. She was also found to have conspired with a woman named Euphemy McAlzine to murder her own godfather. Galus uh, later said while being executed that Euphemy and another woman she had named, Barbara Napier, were actually innocent. And Gillis said she only accused them because asshole David and his son had told her to. And we're going to get a little more into that because, as it turns out, David already had a little dispute going on with Euphemy. So I think this was just a tactic for him. So Gillis was executed as a witch, unfortunately. So let's let's talk about this Euphemie McAlzine, who Galus named. Euphemie McAlzine was the daughter of a prominent judge. Apparently, she was his illegitimate daughter, but then he legitimized her. I don't really know how that works. But anyway, he was this very prominent judge. She was his only child. She became his heir. So she was a very important lady. And the family name was so important that when she got married, her husband actually took her last name. I guess that was a thing that would happen if the only heir was a female, which I love that. I honestly hate the whole taking your husband's last name. I think couples should just pick a whole new last name when they get married, and then they can both change their names. Seems fair. 
Anyway, Yuv Mays, this very important, well-to-do lady, then Galus Duncan, under torture, accused Euphemy of being a witch. Which, as we've already established, is the kiss of death at this time. Now, I told you she had a bit of a connection to asshole David, Galus's employer. Yeah, David was actually Euphemy's brother-in-law by marriage. He was married to her husband's sister. I called him an asshole later, but for real, he was an asshole. Because apparently there'd been some land disputes and different things like that. And Euphemy had been trying to uh, shore, shore up some marriages for her daughters. And I don't know, I guess David just wanted her shit, so... I remember I said, Galus, when they were executing her, she said, no, David told me to accuse you for me. So yeah, I think somehow he just wanted her estate or something. And this was just another tool for him to use. So yeah, like I said before, asshole. Want to know some of the things that Euphemie supposedly did as a witch? Well, in addition to attending those witchy meetings and, you know, kissing the devil's ass and conspiring to kill the king, she supposedly used witchcraft to kill her uncle, her nephew, um, she tried to kill her father-in-law, she tried to kill her own husband. I mean, if she was a witch, it doesn't sound like she was a very good one, or a lot more people would be dead. But the most egregious thing she did as a witch, I mean, this this one's just horrible, guys. Wait till you hear it. She was said to have relieved the God-ordained pain of women in childbirth. Yep, she helped women who were giving birth relieve their pain, probably with some herbs or plants or something. But apparently that pain is ordained by God, and since she helped them with it, must be a witch. I want to go back in time and tell all these people about epidurals. I mean, they would burn me as a witch for sure. <laughs> also, I feel like none of these men would be saying that the pain was God-ordained if men were the ones who had to go through it. So, of course, Yofame was found guilty because, you know, which you must be guilty. And she was burned alive on June 25th, 1591. And after her death, her estate and everything did not stay with her daughters or anything like that. It was all given to this other guy that was in the king's favor. So lots of political motivation here as well, aside from this clearly sexist motivations. That's like a great tool. You see somebody and you're like, man, I want that land. That's a nice house. Just go accuse your neighbor of being a witch and then you'll get their house. Guess that's how that works. So this other lady also was accused of being a witch in Galus's confessions. Her name was Barbara Napier, and everything I saw said that Barbara came from, quote, a good family, whatever the fuck that means. Now, like I said, apparently she was kind of well off. Like, I don't think she was quite as rich as Euphemie, but she was well known about town. She wasn't like a peasant, if you will. She's a little well off. And apparently she had bought some charms probably from a woman we're going to talk about soon named Agnes Sampson. But apparently she'd bought some charms. I guess you just go to someone's house and buy them. I don't know where you buy charms. If I did, I would probably buy some. Sounds kind of fun. But she'd bought some charms to help her. She wasn't feeling very well, I guess. You know, self-care is important. And she also wanted to help her relationship with her boss, Jean Lyons, Countess of Angus. Barbara and her husband both worked for Jean and I guess the family or whatever. So Barbara just wanted to make sure they had a good relationship with her boss, made sure everything was good. But I guess the charm did not work and Barbara had actually been fired. 
Meanwhile, Jean's husband, Archibald Douglas, who's, of course, the Earl of Angus, well, he got sick from a disease that all the records said was so strange there could be no cure or remedy, and he died on August 4, 1588. And in her confession, Galus said Barbara had bewitched him to die. Or maybe, and hear me out on this, maybe it was bacteria and germs and some kind of virus because germ theory wasn't a thing yet. Just maybe. But, you know, she had this motive. She'd been fired and now she bewitched her boss's husband. Makes sense. And uh, Barbara was also supposedly attending those assemblies on the church grounds and she was attending them with Galus and Agnes Sampson, Euphemia, just all these bitches hanging out with the devil. And at one of the meetings, supposedly, they gave a picture of the king to the devil. Because like I said, the devil just hang out at these meetings too. Just show up. Hey guys, how's it going? And they gave him a picture of the king so the devil could destroy him. And I'm confused by this for a, a few reasons. One, I don't understand how the devil just comes to all your meetings. Isn't he a, isn't he a busy guy? I don't, I don't really know, but it'd be like if you had like an Elvis fan club and Elvis Presley showed up. You'd be like, what? I feel like that's what this is, right? They're like devil fan clubs. The other thing I don't understand, though, is why did you have to give a picture to the king so the devil would know who to destroy? I thought the devil was like down there in hell just looking up everyone's skirt and knowing everyone's business. I don't know, apparently not, but that's what I thought was going on. So Barbara's trial began May 8th, 1591. She was accused of trying to kill the king by witchcraft. But interestingly, she was not found guilty of that charge. She was only found guilty of conspiring with witches, which I guess was a lesser charge. And King James supposedly ordered that the doctors check Barbara to see if she was pregnant. And if she wasn't, she'd be burnt and publicly disemboweled for getting the lesser charge. Like, what? What's the difference then if you're still going to kill me? Also, publicly disemboweled. I know people used to go to public hangings and executions. And honestly, I would have been right there in the crowd being like, yeah, you know, Sunday entertainment. But a public disembowelment? I've never heard of such a thing, and I i don't know. I, I might have to stay home and churn some butter or something that day. That seemed a little, a little gross. But Barbara's fate is actually a little unclear because the king actually decided that they should change her verdict. So then she was found guilty on all the charges, which like, fuck you, James. King or not, you can't just change a verdict. Rude. And the town bought materials for Barbara's burning, but those materials were used when they set Euphemia on fire. So some people think that Barbara was burned to death. Some people think she was released after she claimed she was pregnant. Some people think she died in jail. At the end of the day, we're just not sure because 1500s. I mean, what are you going to do? Now, one name that I've mentioned already a few times, and now we're going to talk about her, is Agnes Sampson. Agnes was apparently known to be a witch about town. She was an older lady. She worked as a midwife and was just a nice, well-respected old lady. So now we're just targeting sweet old ladies here. Agnes was also tortured 
like the rest of them, and she did confess, confess, under torture to killing a woman named Jane Kennedy. Now, Jane Kennedy had been a companion of Mary, Queen of Scots. May have heard of her. Mary, Queen of Scots, was the king's mother. So, you know, he he knew her, and he wanted her to come be one of the companions for his new bride. Well, when she went sailing to meet Anne, I guess she had to cross this, like, big river or something, and there was a storm, and her boat crashed into another boat, and she drowned on September 7th, 1589. Well, supposedly, this is according to her confession that was taken under torture, so we can't really believe it. Supposedly, Agnes had actually made a charm to make that boat sink, and that's why Jane Kennedy died, not because of the storm or a boat crashing into another boat. Nope, it's just this old lady making a charm. And you know how she made the charm? She sank a cat in the river. I'm assuming the cat was dead before the sinking. Oh, and before the cat was sank, it had a dead man's body parts attached to it. I'm not sure whose body parts they were. But yeah, I guess if you want to make it storm, you attach dead body parts to a cat and sink it. The more you know. I'm going to talk a little about the torture she went through because it's pretty bad. Um. They shaved her head and body, just all her hair gone. And then they put her in a witch's bridle and attached it to the wall of her cell. A witch's bridle, I'm going to post a picture of at least one. It was also called a scold's bridle. It's basically an iron muzzle. And as if putting a muzzle on a human wasn't bad enough, the witch's bridle actually had a metal piece that went inside the mouth and held the tongue down. And some also had prongs. That held the cheeks out, like, wide. So, yeah, your mouth was just literally open, tongue down, like, uh, so you couldn't talk or make any noise, really. And it was also called a scold's bridle because they were used against women who just talked too much. Basically, your husband or anyone in your family could be like, shut the fuck up and put you in a scold's bridle. They were mostly used on witches, but still, how fucked up is that? Sometimes I cannot believe any of our female ancestors made it out alive. I really can't. So anyway, Agnes was placed in one of these, chained to the wall, without sleep, for days. And they also searched her for a witch's mark, and, you know, supposedly that was why they had to shave her. Mm -hmm. And they also supposedly found the witch's mark on her privates. I just, I really love the idea of all these gross men just fondling naked women and quote-unquote examining every inch of their body. Fucking disgusting. I want to chop all their dicks off. And this is when she confessed to her crimes, you know, the sinking charm with the cat. And in all, she was charged with 53 crimes. And in her confession, she's one of them that said she had attended a Sabbath, which I guess is a witch meeting, with over 200 witches, including Galus Duncan. So we got all this cross-corroboration. Must be true. It's not because they're all being tortured. Don't be silly. And she also, to like convince the king that she was a witch, because I guess he was still a little skeptical, she was like, oh yeah, well I can tell you about this private conversation you had with your wife the first night you guys were together. And so she, I guess, took him aside and kind of told him some details about the conversation. And he was like, oh shit, she is working for the devil. I'm like, or she just, you know, also knew a servant who had overheard you guys. I mean, I feel like they have a lot of servants. Someone's always listening. And I'm sure the king's wedding night is just gossip fodder anyway. But nope, nope, it wasn't any of that. It was clearly the devil, guys. 
Now, she was executed for witchcraft, like a lot of them. She was either executed January 27th or January 28th, 1591. I saw both dates in a number of sources. Could not figure out which date exactly. It was the 27th or the 28th, one of those two. And she was not burned alive. She was actually strangled and then burned. And I guess that was a common thing in Scotland. Most of the time, they strangled them, and then when they were dead, they burned them. But some of them, like Yofame, were burned alive. I would also just like to take a moment and point out to you guys that Agnes Sampson was a practicing Catholic, and you have to understand that this was a time when Catholicism was not okay, because King James, he succeeded Elizabeth I, whose daddy was Henry VIII, may have heard of him, and he had broken off from the Catholic Church to marry her mama, Anne Boleyn. I'm not going to go super into all this British royal history, but I do think it's necessary to point out that there may have also been some religious motivation behind these accusations because being a Catholic was not okay. The people in charge are very anti-Catholic. So this may have just been another way to persecute Catholics. Just throwing that out there. Also, supposedly to this day, Agnes's naked and battered ghost haunts the palace at Holyrood House, and I say good for her. I hope she fucking does. I can't wait to haunt this shit out of people. So good for you, Agnes. We we love it, girl. We're here for it. Now there's another Agnes, Agnes Thompson, who was also accused of witchcraft. She's the one who told them all about kissing the devil's ass. She said that he would literally bend over the pulpit at their meetings, and they all took turns kissing his booty. Now, obviously, this is shocking for that time. I mean, honestly, a bunch of people waiting to literally kiss the devil's ass? It's kind of shocking now. I mean, if I went to a party and the devil was there and he was bent over, going, everyone has to kiss my butt as they enter, I'd be pretty shocked. So now the sinking of the cat with the dead man's body parts was also attributed to Agnes Agnes Thompson in a few sources. More often, it was attributed to Agnes Sampson. So I don't know if they were both involved, like a little group project, or if since they have the first same first name, some sources got them mixed up. Anyway, I at least wanted to point that out. At least one of them was trying to kill the king, supposedly. And Agnes, I guess, had another method to kill the king as well. She supposedly hung a black toad up by its heels and collected its venom. And then she just needed a piece of the king's soiled linens, like an old shirt or towel or sheets, anything. And she asked one of the king's servants that she knew to help her get it, because I guess she could use that with the venom and curse it or something and the king would die. But she never got one because the servant was like, um, no which good for the servant, even though I don't think any of this is true. She said that if she had gotten the cloth, the king would have died. She would have subjected him to such sharp pains as if he were lying on a bed of thorns or pins and needles. So, I mean, I guess it's good she didn't get it, but I kind of don't know because James is being kind of a dick right now. I'm just putting it out there. Now, when Galus, this all started with that old Galus, and we can't blame Galus, her boss was a dick, but when Galus was being tortured, she also named a man named John Fian as a witch. That's right, not just lady witches around these parts. Now, John Fian also apparently went by John Cunningham, and also was sometimes called doctor. 
but I don't I don't think he was a doctor. If you remember the title of news that news from Scotland pamphlet, it said, uh, you know, high sorcerer, Dr. Fian. Yeah, that's this guy. Not sure what the whole Fian Cunningham doctor shit is about. I'm just letting you know. Um, I'm going to call him Fian, John Fian, because that's what I saw more often. So he worked as a school teacher in town. He was the local schoolmaster. So, you know, just a regular guy imparting knowledge. But apparently in his spare time, because teachers have all kinds of spare time, you know, he was apparently consorting with the devil. He uh, bewitched town folk and preached and spread the good word of witchery. So he was officially charged with raising the winds at the king's passing to Denmark, and of being present at an assembly, quote, where Satan promised to raise a mist and drive king's ship to England. So those big witch assemblies that were taking place in North Berwick, you know, where the devil would show up and they'd all kiss his butt. Yeah, apparently John was the leader of the coven. Honestly, I want to go to one of these Satan assemblies purely for research. I just want to know what happens at one because it kind of sounds like the start of a rager. If you ever been to a Satan assembly, let me know. Now, he openly confessed to bewitching a local man so that he would have fits of lunacy every 24 hours. And John was like, I'll prove it to you. So on December 24, 1590, this local man was brought to the king's chambers and John Fian bewitched him for an hour. Now, during this hour, the man was screaming, contorting his body and jumping so high he touched the ceiling. I'll be real with you. I don't know what exactly was going on here. Really don't. But I don't believe that he was bewitched. And after the hour, this man had no memory of anything that had happened in the last hour. He said he'd been asleep the whole time. Again, I don't know what the fuck was going on in that room, but it wasn't witchcraft, okay? Now, John Fian supposedly also had a crush on a local unmarried lady, but I guess she wasn't interested in him, or maybe he never talked to her. I don't really know. So he tried to use her brother to help him bewitch the woman. I guess her brother was one of his students, because remember, he's a teacher. He's not a fucking witch. And he told the brother that he would hit teach him without hitting him. Because, you know, teachers did that back then. All the brother had to do was get him three of his sister's pubes. John, oh, like sorcerer or not, that's just, that's nasty. You can't collect people's pubes. Just ask her out. If she says yes, great. If she says no, fuck off. Well, the brother, I don't know how old the brother is. I couldn't find anything. But like I said, he's in school, so he's probably fairly young. The brother said he would do it. Now, the brother shared a bed with his sister, and this is this is not a weird or gross thing, guys. A lot of times back then, there was only, you know, a couple beds in the house, and they all slept together, also warmth and that kind of thing. So one night while they were asleep, the brother tried to get the pubes for the teacher, and of course, she woke up and screamed for their mom because her brother's being gross. Well, apparently, their mom was also a witch. Like, I guess they're just swarming in witches in this city. And so the brother told their mom what was going on. And their mom was like, oh, I don't fucking think so. But instead of like calling John out and being like, hey, I know you're trying to be a disgusting pervert with my daughter. She was like, oh, I'll let him continue his his spell. This sounds great. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna change up the ingredients a bit. So she went out and cut some hairs off a cow and she gave them to her son and was like, go give these to him. So John did his little love spell and supposedly it worked. After that, the cow followed him everywhere. I find that hilarious. 
Out of everything in the story, I hope this is the one part that actually happened. I really do. You can't be out here bewitching girls to fall in love with you, John. Even Genie and Aladdin couldn't do it. But if John is a witch, he's he's not a very good one. Out here bewitching cows. Abracadabra moo moo. <laughs> so he was tortured like the rest of them, and that's where he came up with this whole confession. And then he said, you know, yeah, I've, I've had a pact with the devil, I have, but I'm ready to renounce Satan and come back to Christ. So naturally, he's put in jail. And would you believe Satan came and visited him in jail? He said that the devil came to him all dressed in black and carrying a white wand. That's right. The devil came in dressed like Johnny Cash, carrying a Harry Potter wand. And the devil was pissed that John Fian was giving up their pact, which, I mean, can you blame him? You make a pact, that's for life. That's forever. That's that's more than a pinky promise, okay? So the devil's there in his cell like, what the fuck, man, I thought we were bros. Direct quote. <laughs> well, John replied with, quote, Avoided Satan avoided, for I have listened too much to thee, and by the same thou hast undone me, in respect whereof I utterly forsake you. So we're getting poetic. Now the devil threatened him in reply by saying, quote, That once ere thou die, thou shall be mine. Then, because he's a fucking drama queen, the devil snapped the white wand and, and disappeared. Way to make an exit. And what a night John had. Wow. So the next morning, he told everyone this. He was like, yeah, I told you, I'm, I'm denouncing Satan. Here's what happened. And they were all like, whoa, you denounced the devil? Cool, cool. We'll give you a chance to live a Christian life. So I guess they were considering letting him go. But that night, he stole a key and escaped. I wonder if the devil helped him. He was caught and brought, brought back. And now they started torturing him again. I'm going to talk about some of his torture. So if you don't want to hear that, you know, skip ahead a little bit because this one's pretty bad. This man endured having his fingernails ripped off and pins thrust into the nail beds. It hurts just saying that. I don't want to think about it all. Anything involving nails, eyeballs, or teeth, I'm fucking out. This is so horrific to think about. And they also use torture devices on him. They use those pilly winks that we talked about that crush your your fingers. And they also use something called the boot. Now the boot basically crushes the bottom half of your legs. It goes like from knee to ankle. Some of them cover your whole foot. I don't know what kind they were using on him. And then they'll like beat them or they twist them. Basically they just get tighter and tighter and crush the bones. And they compressed his leg bones so much that he couldn't have walked even if he had been given the chance. That News from Scotland pamphlet that was written about this actually said that blood and marrow spouted forth in great abundance. Ew. And it's reported that he took this torture without expressing any pain, like literally just sat there, which love the stoicness, probably not the best way to get out of being accused of being a witch. Just saying. In fact, the translated work I read said in the part about him just taking the torture without expressing anything, it said, so deeply had the devil entered his heart. So yeah, if you don't cry while being tortured, they're going to assume you're consorting with the devil. So John Fian, aka Cunningham, was executed January 27th, 1591. Of course, he couldn't walk from the boot. So they had to actually place him in a cart and they took him to Castle Hill in Edinburgh 
and there he was strangled and then burnt. During the execution, he denied his entire confession. He said he only confessed because he was scared of being tortured and killed, and he thought confessing would save his life. Dude was just making up a great story. He's a storyteller. He's a teacher. Honestly, this whole time period must have been so scary. If you were accused of being a witch, what were your options? If you denied it, no one believed you and you were killed. And if you admitted to being a witch, you were killed. So basically, you're just fucked no matter what. Like, how terrifying. During his torture, John Fian had named a couple other witches. And one of the ones he named was Francis Stewart. Now, Francis Stewart was the Earl of Bothwell. Shit's getting serious. We're accusing earls now. I'm not exactly sure what an earl is, but I know it's higher than peasant, so it's somebody kind of important. The Earl of Bothwell was accused of witchcraft and of planning the death of King James. Now, I do want to note that he did plan and participate in a number of uprisings against the king over the years. He was the king's cousin, and I guess he could have had a claim on the throne if James died without heirs. I don't know, the whole family tree gets a little convoluted because they were all marrying second cousins back then. So, to me, I'm like, okay, he's a potential usurper, does not make him a witch. This whole thing seems political. Like, this, it's so obvious, the political motivations here. It's ridiculous. So, he was brought before the king on April 15th, 1591. And he was locked in Edinburgh Castle the next day. Now, this dude actually has a really interesting life story. If you want to go look him up, he was kind of fun to read into. I'm not going to get too much into his life because it's not that relevant to this case. But he actually escaped from the castle the next day. And then he basically lived the rest of his life as an outlaw trying to clear his name. An outlaw witch. I want to put that on my LinkedIn profile. Outlaw witch. That just sounds cool. And that's that's going to be the last one I talk about for these trials. And like I said, they did end up um, implicating over 70 people. The exact number is not known. Most of them were killed, executed, burned. Some of them died in prison. Very few were released. The North Berwick witch trials were some of the first major trials in Scotland, but many, many followed. They were a big thing. And supposedly... Some three to 4,000 people were murdered from 1560 to 1707 in various witch trials. And I just want to point out that the king did not feel bad about these witch trials at all or any of the subsequent witch trials that plagued Scotland. In fact, he wrote a book abdicating for witch hunting. In 1597, he wrote Demonology. This was a three-volume set, and it was all about sorcery, black magic, witchcraft, anything like that. And it even used that pamphlet, News from Scotland, as the final chapter, because James was quite proud of himself for these witch trials and the role he played in them. Like, fuck that. This book was also used by a bunch of other witch hunters over the years and in witch trials. So it's basically a how to persecute women book. Cool. Love it. And little little fun factor is that Damonology also inspired parts of Shakespeare's Macbeth. You know, when you got the witches and stuff. Yeah, was inspired by this shit. And I do want to say that I do know King James actually did a lot of good things as king. He was a fairly decent ruler, so I'm not trying to completely shit on his whole reign. But in this whole witch hunting business, 
He fucking sucks. Okay, like, fuck off. Like, it's easy, I know. It's kind of funny. We can laugh about some of the stuff in the story. You know, bewitching cows and licking Satan's booty hole. But at the end of the day, we need to remember that these were actual women and men who were unjustly murdered for crimes they clearly didn't commit. And that's fucked. That's not right. Also, did I mention Satan's booty hole a couple of episodes ago, too? Maybe I'm in love with Satan. Seriously, though, like I said, these people were persecuted for political reasons, sexist reasons, religious reasons, all kinds of reasons, none of the reasons being they were actually witches. And the Scottish government finally recognized their part in this and how bad it was, and they actually formally apologized in March 2022. Nicola Sturgeon, the first minister of Scotland at the time, said, quote, Firstly, acknowledging injustice, no matter how historic, is important. This parliament has issued, rightly so, formal apologies and pardons for the more recent historic injustices suffered by gay men and by minors. Second, for some, this is not yet historic. There are parts of our world where even today, women and girls face persecution and sometimes death because they have been accused of witchcraft. And thirdly, fundamentally, while here in Scotland, the Witchcraft Act may have been consigned to history a long time ago, the deep misogyny that motivated it has not. We live with that still. Today it expresses itself not in claims of witchcraft, but in everyday harassment, online rape threats, and sexual violence. Boom. How's that for tying an old-timey witchcraft case into the modern world? I'm not going to give my opinion on any of that because that'll keep us here longer and you didn't come for that. But I have feelings about what she said. But that, that's going to be the end of our, our episode today. Hopefully you enjoyed our spooky trip through Scotland, looking at some horrible witch trials. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can follow the podcast on Instagram. Always post pictures related to the case, including a witch's bridal. The Instagram is Have Murder Will Travel. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Have Murder Will Travel Podcast. You can always send me a nice message at Have Murder Will Travel at gmail.com. Tune in next week to see where we travel next. Until then, don't forget to explore the world and stay alive. Bye.